Today's scripture is found in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to wage war against another king will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If he cannot, then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all of your possessions. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. I want to paint a picture for you this morning. Uh, the year is 2007, so it's been a little bit of time. 2007, um, it's April. I can't remember what exact day, but it's April. It's a Sunday morning, and my parents are getting uh, my sister ready for church, and I'm supposed to be getting ready for church. And I say, I don't feel good. My stomach hurts. My parents have heard that one before. Because I used my stomach hurts anytime I didn't want to do something. If I wanted to get out of school, my stomach hurts. Because I learned, I learned that if I said something else, that they'd take my temperature. And if I didn't have a fever, too bad. But if my stomach hurt, you know, how are they going to check that? If it hurts real bad, maybe I don't have to go. And so this Sunday morning in 2007 and in April, it's actually not a unique story because it also happened the next Sunday and the Sunday before that, and many other Sundays around that. My stomach hurts. I don't feel good. I would say just about anything to get out of going to church. And I actually used this excuse for church far more often than I used at school, for school. And, and uh, that should tell you something. I did not like going to church. And it wasn't because people there were mean or because the preacher did this whole hellfire and brimstone sermon. It was actually a very pleasant experience. But it was boring. Oh, it was so boring. I have to go and sit and be quiet, and listen, and I have to stand up and sing these songs that didn't make any sense off of the, out of these books that, how on earth are you supposed to read that? Is that even English? And we sit back down, and we listen to people talk, and we sometimes have to say stuff back, and it was so boring. And so, come the next Sunday morning, I don't feel good. My stomach hurts. Whatever I could say to get out of boring church. 
And I've, I've kind of learned over the years that my experience isn't exactly a unique one. Many other people don't want to go to church because it's boring. Not because they're not Christians. They believe in Jesus. They believe in all the Christian stuff. They like doing the Christian thing, but church is boring. And, and I'll say that churches have tried to remedy this in many different ways by making church more exciting. Uh, a couple of uh, years ago, I, we've actually been many times, but a couple of years ago, we went to um, Church of the Highlands main campus uh, just outside of Birmingham for one of their one of their Christmas Eve services. They do Christmas Eve services for like an entire week leading up to Christmas, and you have to get tickets to reserve your spot. You don't pay for the tickets, but you have to reserve your spot because they get so packed out. And we went to this experience uh, here at Church of the Highlands, and, uh, and you go in into this massive auditorium-like thing, and uh, the first thing I noticed is that they have six cameras that are swinging around the room. I'm like, oh my gosh. Uh, and, and they have all of these lights that are going and all of this fog that's going and the music's really intense and hyped up. And then like some point during the middle of the service, I'm still not sure how they figured this magic trick out, but the, uh, the, the worship team went from being on the stage at the front to all of a sudden being on the stage in the middle of everybody else. What is happening here? And they, what I noticed is that Church of the Highlands was really trying to make church exciting. And, you know, putting all this stuff up there to make it a really fun, enticing experience. And that was also very interesting. But I didn't want to go back. Because, well, very much like the experiences whenever I was a child, church was boring. Uh, this church was too exciting. It was overstimulating. Uh, I have a long history of ADHD and uh, too much stimulation, I get overwhelmed and I just start looking at the ceiling because I can't handle all of the input. Uh, and so I just couldn't even engage with the service. Uh, but that wasn't, I wasn't the only person who said something similar. I'd heard many other people going out of the door saying, that was a bit much. <laughs> Between these two experiences, I've learned something very important that people don't want a boring life. And that's not to say that people want an exciting life. Some people are very content with just a, a very modest life. Some people do want a really exciting life and they want to do all the exciting things, but every single person wants a meaningful life. And so as I've been reflecting back over my experiences in the church growing up, was that I didn't feel a meaningful connection in church until I met some of my very best friends uh, in, in that very same church. Uh, best friends that I have to this day, talk all the time. Uh, then the church started becoming more meaningful because I was making connections there. And those connections that I was making in church uh, started to also go into my connections with my relationship with Christ. I didn't need anything exciting with all the frills. I just wanted something meaningful. I didn't want boring, and church seems too boring nowadays. And I didn't want exciting, and too many churches are trying to do the exciting thing nowadays, and quite frankly, I feel like it's really expensive to do the exciting thing nowadays. Uh, what church I feel like is missing 
is meaning, a meaningful experience. And I feel like the church often doesn't offer that too often enough. Every so often, sure, we have a good thing that happens and it's very meaningful and very powerful and, and, and spectacular. But by and large, we get kind of wrapped up in either the tradition of it all and the way things are supposed to be done and the other extreme, trying to go all out and making it as chaotic as possible. And in all of that, we find that there's just a little bit of life missing from the church. You see, the church was boring to me because I felt like there wasn't much life in it. It seemed like everybody was just kind of going through the motions. Everybody was just there because that's what they do on Sunday mornings. Particularly if you live in the South, that's just what people do. They go to church on Sunday mornings. And it's nice and it's pleasant and uh, then they go about their lives. But I noticed from an early age, and this uh, doesn't change the fact that I very much lived into it, but I noticed from an early age that the church was filled with people who wanted to show up and be served rather than to show up and serve. I noticed that the church was filled with people who made a one-hour-per-week commitment and then returned to the life that they built rather than those who were wholly committed to the life that God has built for them. I noticed that church felt very boring because the only meaning that people found in it was either to prove themselves right. My goodness, how church people want to be proved right or to hear from the message something they've already, always and already known, something that made them feel good and comfortable. The reason being is that the life of a disciple, you're going to hear me using that word a lot coming up, the life of a disciple no longer had any life in it as everything else became more valuable to us. And so that's where we turn today. Our scripture this morning from Luke 14 has Jesus challenging these large crowds who are traveling with him, saying, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or, what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So, therefore... None of you can become my disciples if you do not give up all you possess. In other words, Jesus is challenging these large crowds who are following him to count the cost of discipleship. To consider what they might be signing up for. To ask the questions of themselves, is this, following this crazy guy, this Jesus fella who's putting out some pretty radical ideas, is this worth it? We make value decisions every single moment of our lives. Every single moment of our lives. And if you don't believe me, perhaps you've been in this situation. 
It's 4 a.m. and you wake up, even though you've kind of been fighting it, because you really have to go to the bathroom. And you look at the clock and you see it's 4 a.m. and I actually just hit 4.01 and you think, there's less than two hours till I have to be up anyway. Should I really even stand up, get out of bed and go to the bathroom? Or do I just push through it and try to make it until you know, my alarm goes off at 6 a.m.? That was me this morning at 4 a.m., by the way. <laughs> and then make a value decision. Is it worth it to get up and go take care of this and then you know, continue with a more restful sleep, if you can even fall back asleep after that? Or do you just fight through it and you know, feel like you can make it to 6 o'clock? But that's not you know, the only things. We make value decisions every single moment. In fact, without even realizing it, or perhaps you did realize it, you made a value decision in where you chose to sit this morning. Is it worth it to sit in this particular pew? Am I going to be too close? Am I going to be too far away? Or am I sitting close enough to the door that leads to the bathroom that uh, if something comes up in the middle of the service, I can get over there? And if I do have to go to the bathroom during the service, is it really worth it for me to get up and then everybody watch me walk all the way around and go out that front door just to go to the bathroom? Or can I hold it till the end? I promise I'm done talking about the bathroom. <laughs> we make value decisions every single moment of our lives. And more often than not, we end up choosing the path of least resistance. It was going to be far too complicated for me to actually get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and try to fall back asleep afterwards. We choose the path of least resistance because, well, we're people who know what's going to make us comfortable. We know what we like. We know what's going to be easier for us. And it just makes more sense to choose that path. And so, Jesus knows that what he is calling his followers to is not going to be easy. In fact, he tells them flat out multiple times, you're going to suffer if you continue on this path. This is just the reality of it. So, he implores them, this large crowd, to count the cost of discipleship. To count the cost of discipleship because, and this is so important, the greatest obstacle to a world transformed by love in Jesus' name is not hatred or violence or atheism or racism or sexism or all of the other isms and negative things of the world. Those are not the greatest obstacles to a world transformed by the love in Jesus' name. Rather, the greatest obstacle to a world transformed by love in Jesus' name is an ambivalent, passive, lifeless, boring, church. The greatest obstacle to a world transformed by love in Jesus' name is a group of people who believe themselves to be disciples, but have given up halfway through and feel like that's enough. Consider the parables of the tower builder and the warrior king. If their, jo if their job is only halfway finished, it's useless foolish and unwanted. Nobody wants a tower that's half built. What's the point of that? It's just going to sit there taking up space. And it's going to cost even more money to get rid of it. Nobody wants 
to go to war if they're not going to win. Or at least you would think. <laughs> For some reason, some people still do that. To count the cost of discipleship is to consider the fact that the greatest obstacle to a world transformed by love in Jesus' name might just be me. Because I could so easily consider that I'm doing enough and then just sit back and relax in my comfortable life and watch the world pass me by without ever actually accomplishing anything in Jesus' name. When we are called to so much more. So Jesus implores his disciples to count the cost and, we're not even ready for this, and to even hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and life itself. Hate those who love you and those whom you love. Hate life itself. Your own life? I, I, I thought that this Jesus fellow was the guy who was preaching about love all the time. Where's this hate coming from? Well, fortunately, we don't simply have to rely on English translators to uh, get the full context of what's going on. Uh, while the word hate that is thrown in here at the beginning of this, and this is exactly what Jesus says, whoever comes to me and does not hate Father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, and even life itself cannot be my disciple. That word hate there is very curious. It's not wrong, but it's not the full translation of that word. The Greek word there is miseo. Miseo. This is a comparative word. It's similar to the word like or as, but with a sort of a diminishing connotation to it. Uh, it's a comparative word that centers on moral choice, elevating the value of one thing over another. It's comparative. It's, it's something that, uh, that calls us to renounce one choice in favor of another, to make a value decision, something that we do all the time, to choose one thing over another. Perhaps you're trying to make the choice of, do you want to go an extra 5, 10, 15 miles per hour over the speed limit to try to get to this particular event at a certain time, or do I want to be safe? And, you know, whatever. If I'm late, I'm late. I often lean to this side of that, <laughs> the unsafe side of that. We make these value decisions uh, based on this word, miseo. Jesus is saying, no one can be my disciple unless they choose this life over father and mother, wife and children, sister and brother, even life itself. Because the life of a disciple is one that demands radical commitment. That's not to say we eradicate these things from our lives or that we turn to our friends, family, other people in our lives and say, Jesus told me to hate you. It doesn't work that way. No, no, no. In, instead, it's making a value decision that my life is going to be informed by this gospel message. That every decision I make is going to be informed by the resurrected Christ. 
Earlier I said that we make these value decisions every single moment of our lives. And these end up culminating in a list of things that we prioritize. And you could probably write that down right now. If you had a sheet of paper or wanted to pull up notes on your phone, you could probably write down your priority list, the things that are most important to you, all the way down to the things that you've forgotten about because they're not important at all. If I, if me, I, Micah, were to write this list right now, I would put Christ at the top of it. And I would be a liar. I would want to. I really would. I, would. I would have that sheet of paper and I'd be writing down and the first thing I'd put on there as my priority is Christ. And then I'd actually have to consider my daily decisions, monthly decisions, lifelong decisions, and see that Christ is rarely reflected in them. Maybe at times, sure. But more often than not, it's more of myself that's reflected in them. My wife and our dog, Peanut. These things that uh, take priority in my life. Actually, uh, probably the first thing on there would be food, <laughs> if I'm being real honest. Uh, you know, they, they say you can tell a lot about what a person treasures based on their checkbook or their financial statement. <laughs> if you were to look at our uh, bank account, it's food purchases <laughs> that's uh, up there more, more than anything else. There are many things in my life that are holding me back from this commitment to a life of a disciple. Lots of things. Not just food. I mean, yeah, that's where I spend most of my money. But not just food. Just general, in general, things that I want to do, things that I enjoy doing, things that are fun to me. What about you? What's holding you back from a life of a disciple? I'm, I'm willing to bet that for all of us, it comes down to one simple notion. I still want to be able to live my life. There's so much in the world to experience. My life could be so full. Or my life already is so full. My schedule is filled with all of these things that I have to go to constantly. Taking kids to sports events. At some point, I'm supposed to clean up the house. At some point, I've got to go to work and do all of this stuff and that stuff and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, before you know it, my Google Calendar is so packed that it won't let me put another thing on there because there are too many conflicting events. We just want to be able to live our lives. And we all have those things on our schedules, those things that we want to spend our money on and time on and our energy on, the people that we want to think about in our lives. And that's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with that inherently. It can become wrong if it becomes obsessive. Uh, but inherently, there is nothing wrong with that. Though I will say that the life of a disciple will place Christ in front of all of that will allow Christ to be reflected in all of that. We'll consider Christ worth more than all of that. We are not required to be disciples, believe it or not. We're not required to be disciples. But if that is what we choose, then we must count the cost and acknowledge what is holding us back. 
And while it may not be a requirement to be a disciple, I do believe we are called to it, to be disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. So, my challenge to each and every one of us, myself included, I've definitely got to include myself in this one, is to commit to the life of a disciple. This is not a boring life. This is a life filled with meaning and purpose. It might not necessarily be an exciting life either, but it's a life filled with meaning and purpose. It's not a cheap life. It's not one that we can just slide by with pennies on the dollar, but it is a life filled with meaning and purpose. It's not an easy life, not one that's going to be found in the comforts of our own secure bubbles, but it is a life of meaning and purpose, a life that makes a difference. And it's a life of radical commitment. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about what it means to commit to the life of a disciple. And this is all going to culminate on Pentecost Sunday, the birthday of the church. As we gather together, we will also acknowledge that we have avenues to be disciples. More to come on that. But for today, I simply want to encourage each and every one of us to commit to this life. Because if we don't, if we don't commit to this life, church is going to continue being boring or too exciting and overstimulating. Church is going to continue to be lifeless because the church was never intended to be a place where people come to show up to be served. The church was meant to be the disciples gathered together to be sent out and serve. So let's commit. Commit to a life of a disciple. And let us pray.